0: Hello, I'm Stuart Preston, and this is The Stone Dape Reports, where I have conversations with those who have changed their lives with the power of psychedelics. Quick announcement, I now have a book out titled The Grief Trip, How I Learned to Heal with Grief and Psychedelics. You can find it at www.thegrieftrip.com. 100% of proceeds go to the Ian Preston Memorial Fund to help support mental health and suicide prevention. Okay, back to the podcast. In this episode, I had the honor of speaking with Cable, She recently completed her master's degree in women and gender studies at Arizona State University. As part of that work, she conducted a survey study around pleasure and psychedelics. She also recently published a follow-up article on shakruna.net. We discussed her personal experiences with ayahuasca, the results of the survey, and dived into related topics including trauma, societal norms around sexuality, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation with Cable. Cable, thank you so much. For coming here on the Stone Date reports podcast I'm, I'm honored to have you um you know i reached out to you a while ago but now you've got so much going on that i'm just excited to ask you a few questions about the the paper you wrote and the article that you've got published out there in addition to hearing your own experiences so you know first of all thank you for taking the time to do this
1: yeah thank you for having me Stuart. i'm looking forward to talking with you these are some of my favorite topics so it's fun for me <laughs>
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. So you mentioned in the article you wrote at chakruna.net, you know, about your New Year's Eve ayahuasca experience, which I definitely wanted to hear about that. But I also like to get some some background and kind of lay a foundation for what was going on in your life that kind of brought you to the medicine and what you were looking, you know, maybe we, sometimes we call them intentions you know, what you were looking to, to work on or get help with, if, if anything. So what, is there any kind of a background you want to share as a kind of what was going on in your life before? Yeah, I, I, the experience?
1: I would love to share some background. And I do also want to mention just for listeners that my topics of research and the things I'll be talking about today uh, pertain to sex and sexuality and in some cases, sexual trauma. So I just like hmm. to... Uh, give that as an FYI, just in case there's anybody who's not feeling up for those uh, conversations today. I don't have anything too heavy planned, but you never know what might come up in a conversation. So yeah,
0: I just thank you.
1: Mention that in advance, but um, some background information. I had been studying sexuality for years through various academic disciplines, through, through psychology, family studies, I did some counseling studies like sex therapy and couples therapy, feminist studies. So I was just looking at sexuality through all these different angles because it um, has been fascinating to me and also part of my own healing uh, process as well. And I didn't start looking into psychedelic research until around 2017. That's when I really got interested in that mm. research. And the first thing I did uh, once I really got sparked about that was go to the MAPS conference in 2017, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. They do a big conference. And so I went there and was going to these presentations. At the time, I was mostly looking for information about how uh, spiritual experiences that happen in psychedelic states compare with other types of altered states like meditation, that kind of thing so I was mm-hmm. I was curious about that kind of information and just about what happens in psychedelic spaces um, and I was at that time very resistant to doing any psychedelics myself. I had done some in my teens and I had some good experiences, some good like recreational type experiences mm-hmm. as a teenager but then I also had a very, what I would call traumatic LSD experience.
0: Just a quick note here, the traumatic experience that you're about to hear from Cable involved other substances, not just LSD. So again, be careful with anything you choose to do, do your research and make sure that harm reduction is a part of all your experiences. Okay, so back to Cable and her story.
1: I would say it it changed and perhaps saved my life but it was very difficult. I, I had a grand mal seizure, a tonic-clonic seizure while I was on LSD and wow. had to have emergency transport and be in the hospital. And they pumped my stomach, even though they didn't really need to, but they didn't know what to do for me. So right. <laughs> there was a lot going on through that wow. experience and uh, like a whole hell realm experience uh, when I was 17 years old and really – completely unprepared for that type of experience. I didn't even know that it was possible. Like it wasn't even in my work yeah. at all that that's what could happen. So wow. it uh, blew me apart, but it was something that I'm so grateful for because after that experience, I I couldn't do the things that I had been doing before, which a lot of it was very self-destructive. I was very self-destructive as a teenager. And it was kind of like that LSD experience picked me up and just placed me on a different track entirely where I would just was not compatible with the same behaviors anymore. And wow. that was when I got into yoga and meditation and really changed my whole life and my whole way of,
2: hmm.
1: of living and who I was around. And it, it changed things completely. So I'm very grateful for the disruption that it made in my life. Uh, yeah. but after that I had a, a good 20 years where I would not even consider taking any psychedelics. If somebody even mentioned it to me, I would say, like, don't talk to me about that. Do what you want, but do not talk to me about psychedelics yeah, because I you will went not through. do them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I was I was very close to the idea of doing them myself. Even when I went to this conference in 2017, I I was not thinking I was going to do any myself.
0: So what drew your interest then to go to the conference?
1: Well, it, I mean, it's kind of funny that someone who was so close to psychedelics at yeah. that time would would make the effort to go to that conference. Um, but I was really fascinated by the research. Just when I would see the research about it, it, it lit me up. It was exciting to me. And I, I did always have this fascination with it on some level, just because of the experience I had when I was 17 with Mm. LSD, it had always kind of stayed with me. Like, what happened to me? Where did I go? What, how did that do what it did for me? So I was,
2: Mm. I had
1: a fascination with it. And I think once I started seeing the research that was coming out, I, I just was drawn to it for that reason. And also reasons I can't even explain. Some of it was, kind of a mystery to me like why am I so compelled to do this and now (laughs) it makes more sense looking back at what has transpired in the years since then it makes sense now but uh, at the time it was a very strange thing for me to do but I I very much enjoyed the conference and I uh, I felt like it was significant in my life I felt like whatever I was doing was important. Whatever was drawing me there was important.
2: Mm.
1: And I I did start to feel like there was some kind of psychedelic medicine calling me, like there was something that I was going to have to work with. I was very resistant to that though. And even when I started to kind of open up to the idea of working with psychedelics again personally and moving through the fear of doing that, I was closed to ayahuasca in particular, because the idea of uh, being in darkness for hours and vomiting and diarrhea just d- was not appealing to me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that yeah.
0: it's
1: appealing to that many people, those aspects, but no. I was like, no, not ayahuasca over and over again, even when it was getting shoved in my face. Uh, that's right. what kept coming up. And Of course, it did end up being ayahuasca, the one that I was saying no to. (laughs) Right. Uh, But I did very very much feel like ayahuasca came and got me. Like, I was very resistant to psychedelics. I was very resistant to ayahuasca in particular. But it kept coming up. I kept learning more about it, even when I was trying not to. And it began to feel kind of like a relationship was forming with something I didn't even quite understand. And I... Hmm. I felt like I had to go towards it eventually eventually I I just knew that I had to meet it this thing that was calling me so I I had my I started going to ceremonies in 2018 so that's when I finally said yes to it and uh, it took me by surprise it actually sometimes still continues to take me by surprise but it became a a really important relationship and uh, a big teacher in my life hmm. and so when I came to that uh, the ceremony that I mentioned in the article that I wrote about pleasure in psychedelics uh, that it was an experience that taught me a lot about pleasure and I'll, I'll talk about that uh, but that was one that happened I guess it was t- the New Year's Eve 2019 into 2020 when that Uh, New Year's Eve uh, ceremony happened and I came to it definitely with struggle I kind of always come to any ceremony with a little bit of struggle Mm -hmm. being scared and also happy and excited both it's like this this mix of trepidation also extreme gratitude because it's such an important process for me. And I know it's always important and meaningful and helpful to me, but going into it is still every single time hard for me. So definitely going into that experience, I I know I was feeling some, some anxiety about it and also gratitude.
0: Yeah. I get that. So what, what do you think the pleasure aspect of it? What was going on with you that kind of set set the stage or the setting, the mindset for that kind of a lesson?
1: Well, I wasn't consciously looking for it. I, yeah. I didn't know that's what I was going to get going into it, which is often the case. We get things we don't quite know we're going to get. Um, but when that one, when it started coming on, when I started feeling the effects coming on, I... Remember, I felt some anxiety about it, and I had a little bit of that feeling of like wanting to get away from it. And of course, you can't get away from it at that point. Like you're just right. on the ride. Um, but I, I felt the sensations coming in, and for me, it often feels kind of like a, a crawling energy moving through my body internally, filling, filling out my body from the insides, and then feeling like ayahuasca and I are now. Coexisting inside my body, and I have to adjust to that. I have to get used to there being another presence inside Mm. my body. And so I remember feeling that and working with that. And then an announcer style voice came through really loud, and I heard it say, Receive everything you've ever wanted. And I thought, wow, that that sounds good, but what does that mean? (laughs) And then it just, flooded me with, uh, basically just this massive experience of love and acceptance and joy. And it was just so huge. It was like nothing I I could even comprehend because it was so big. Yeah. And that sounds awesome, but I was also, I was kind of scared about it. And as much as I tried to open myself to receive it like I could feel that it was love and it was massive love but I couldn't seem to open myself to work with it or receive it in a way that was it certainly wasn't comfortable for me I felt like I was like a tiny thimble in comparison to what was like this avalanche coming down upon me and it came like that wave after wave it just would do that over and over again like it would say that the announcer voice would like boom these words receive everything you've ever wanted and then flood me again with this massive love and wow it uh yeah it was it was beautiful and amazing and i loved it and i also was kind of wrestling with myself in the experience of it because I didn't want to resist it and I didn't want to be scared of it. I didn't want to be um, in this state of like, well, what's going to happen next? Is it going to do Mm -hmm. something scary? I was, I kept doing that. um, And then I tell myself like, just relax, just feel it. Like this is what's happening right now, just take it in. And then it was kind of this back and forth of just feel it. I'm scared, just feel it, I'm scared. (laughs) Um, and I kind of had to forgive myself uh, in, in that. Like, just accept that that's that's what I was doing. That's, I was wrestling with it. That's just how it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did show me a number of things. Some that I saw pretty immediately. And then some things that took a really long time for me to integrate after that experience. Uh, one thing that it showed me and i talk about this in the the article on pleasure and psychedelics but it it showed me that i had some barriers and fears around receiving in this case receiving love and something really pleasurable
2: hmm.
1: so that's something that was really helpful to see and it's something i continue to work with to be aware of in my daily life uh, where i'm doing that where i Um, anticipating something uh, scary or bad, where I can just like let myself feel something good that's happening and enjoy it rather than waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah. And it, uh, it also showed me some things in relation to loving other people. It showed me that we're all just able to take in whatever we can take in at any given moment. So in in this experience, it was that I was only able to take in so much. And it wasn't that I was rejecting ayahuasca and it wasn't that I didn't want the love. I definitely wanted it. I just had the capacity that I had in that moment. So that was good information for me in relation to my experience of loving other people. Like if I have some feeling like they're not taking in my love or they're not receiving it the way that Mm. I mean it. like, why can't they take in my love as big as I am giving it or whatever it is? It showed me that that's just that person's capacity in that moment. And it's not yeah. necessarily a rejection because I do tend to automatically assume rejection in things. So this showed me that, that those cases aren't always automatically meaning rejection. It's just where people are at and what they can receive and what they can deal with in whatever moment you're in.
0: Yeah, that's big. Uh,
1: yeah, that was that was a useful thing to me uh, that I was able to carry into my life. And then the the pleasure piece was really big. I had just shortly before doing that ceremony, I had done a presentation that was re- was related to pleasure research, and I, I wasn't expecting a lesson on that in the ceremony. It wasn't even on my list of possibilities. But it Hmm. was interesting that I I had done a presentation on pleasure and then I went to this ceremony and and got this experience. And at first, I didn't even see it as related. It took probably over a year before I saw how that Hmm. ceremony related to pleasure and related to my my broader studies on sexuality. And so that's just an example of integration. Like sometimes things take months or years for the ripple effects to show themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good point. So what, what, what else is, I mean, that's a lot. Is there anything <laughs> else that you, you brought out of this and, and did that, you know, a year later when you kind of connected the dots between your presentation and your lessons about pleasure, it, what was that kind of your your catalyst to dig further into this and learn more about it in your studies?
1: Well, in some ways I think it was already happening because mm. I, I had studying sexuality from various angles for a while and then i became interested in psychedelics research and for a long time it seemed like two separate things and and also kind of questionable things like why am i always studying sexuality why am i always studying psychedelics like why those two things that's kind of weird how's that going to be a career for me (laughs) but um I, they seemed separate and then eventually they did start to come together. and it was a variety of ways that they came together. but I do think the experiences I had in ceremonies probably planted some, some hmm. seeds and maybe that experience uh, was was part of that without me even being consciously aware of it at, at the time.
0: Yeah the uh, and I want to get into your study cuz there's so much there to talk about but I want to also want to throw out there were there any other psychedelic experiences that you've had where you, you brought some lessons out of the out of the ceremony or the individual experience that you've incorporated into your life any other big lessons that have really helped you as a result of psychedelic use
1: well there's been so many yeah <laughs> there's been just a lot but I I guess I can talk about a few that are more recent I would say Uh, well one thing that has has happened for me repeatedly recently and not as recently is stuff processing stuff around uh, childhood sexual abuse Mm. and that's happened on different levels and it's kind of not surprising because people tend to process trauma and things from the past and so I knew that could come up, but it is, it's is—it's something I've done a lot of work on in my life. So I was, mm-hmm. of course, kind of hoping that it wasn't going to be a whole big thing, but it but it has been present in numerous ceremonies. But hmm. uh, one in the past year that was really meaningful related to that was uh, one that took me back to uh, a memory, to a a case when the person who uh, abused me was present and um i I went back to that room in in the ceremony i saw that myself there as a child i saw him there and as an adult i i went to that room and i was able to interact with it in different ways like i could Mm kind of pick him up and move him away from the child me wow. so I, I could do that I could go to the child me and talk to her and tell her the things that she needed to hear in that moment and comfort her and then it became a, a lot of the experience was about feeling his pain and his struggle the person mm-hmm. who had abused me as a child so a lot of that night became about understanding him more, understanding his experience and, and feeling the pain of that, which was a surprise to me. Yeah. It, was, it was very painful, but it, it expanded my understanding and my compassion. And it actually took me through again and again, uh, praying for him as an adult, praying for him as he was in that moment. I had to, yeah. I also prayed for the, the child me, but it, over and over again, it had me pray for him specifically, wow. which ended up being a, a very healing process. It was difficult, but very, very healing. So that was like a, a new level of processing that uh, childhood experience that yeah. was very impactful for me. And, and then also recently I've been having repeated experiences of seeing men's perspectives in a variety of ways. And I'm not totally sure what that's about yet. I think I'm still integrating those and more will be revealed, but that's been an interesting thing to see more from men's experience and pain and wounding Hmm. and bringing me to questions of how we heal that and how we all can feel worthy of love, whatever yeah. our wound is and whatever whatever we're struggling with, how we all can feel worthy of love. So that, that's something that has come up a lot recently. And then I've gotten like the very common experience is lessons about uh, self-love and self-acceptance. I've definitely gotten a lot of those and it's taught me a lot about being more compassionate towards myself, more gentle with myself. And a lot of people in my survey mentioned that as well, the self-love and self-acceptance that just comes up over and over again in Mm. all kinds of uh, studies and writings about psychedelics. And then I would say another big piece that has come up repeatedly is about connection with nature, about feeling myself Mm. as part of nature and the beauty of that relationship and the aliveness of nature, feeling the aliveness of nature.
0: Yeah. 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 Those are huge. Those are huge. Is it, do you primarily work with, with ayahuasca or is there a combination of different entheogens that you, you work with?
1: Um, I've worked a little bit with mushrooms, but it's mostly ayahuasca. I, I do feel a connection with some other ones, but at this point it's just ayahuasca right now.
0: Okay. All right. Well, it sounds like I, La Madre is bringing you some amazing, amazing lessons. So that's, that's wonderful.
1: Yeah. It continues to surprise me.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of, of this, I guess a good segue into the study and the things that you learned from the study, you know, about self-love and and self-image and those kind of things. Um, I, I participated in the study. It was really well done because I've seen other things, you know, kind of similar out there. And yours just came across as, as very professional, um, you know, well-written. There's just so many things you see out there where people just don't really know how to put a, a survey together. And yours mm-hmm. just was a really good survey. And so it, like a lot of people, I saw reactions out there. A lot of people, I was like them, I was like, I can't wait to see what comes back from this. Well, thanks, you know? Stuart. Yeah. Thanks for uh,
1: taking part in it too.
0: Well, it was my pleasure. so yeah sorry about that everybody um so I guess uh the first it's a it's a survey about pleasure um and it seems obvious but sometimes when I ask myself these obvious questions the other day I asked myself what is reality based on one of my own recent journeys Oh
1: man, good luck with that
0: (laughs) yeah and so I was like well that seems like an obvious thing and then I still don't know what it is so you know what as we go down this, what, what is pleasure? What, what does the word pleasure mean? And what's the kind of the context of, of your research?
1: Okay. Well, just a, a basic way that I look at it is pleasure is a feeling of satisfaction or enjoyment. Uh, often we relate it to sexual experience, but it, it really is everywhere in everything. And it's often related to our senses and what makes us happy. But there is this definition that I really love that's more poetic uh, by Adrienne Marie Brown. She wrote Pleasure Activism, which is a, a really interesting book on the topic of pleasure. But what Adrienne Marie Brown said is, pleasure is what our bodies, our human systems are structured for. It is the aliveness and awakening, the gratitude and humility, the joy and celebration of being miraculous. And wow. she also says it is a measure of freedom.
0: Wow! And so, I actually didn't even prepare a question for this, but I remember you you bringing it up in your writings. Is that kind of where the concept of pleasure being a basic human right comes from? That's why I'm feeling as I hear you say that.
1: Yeah, she she talks about that in in her own languaging, and then there there are other writers also who talk about it specifically calling it a human right. Uh but her book goes into it a lot like as a form of activism that pleasure can be a form of activism.
0: So how how is how can pleasure be activism? Is it well a personal there's a thing? lot of
1: things in in society, that squash it,
0: <laughs> oh yeah, and
1: squash it for certain people more than others, and so it can become a form of activism to welcome pleasure in your life and actively and seek it. out joy and and let yourself re- receive it.
0: Yeah, interesting. When there's
1: so much that's countering that in our society.
0: Yeah, yeah, there really is, and, and a lot of that, I think. You know, when you when you did your research in relation to psychedelics, I think a lot of that can kind of get broken or exposed or understood or played with. So in, in this research, I know I've done a lot of business surveys, you know, and I love doing business surveys because it comes back and I read the results and I'm always surprised and you know, always mm-hmm. like, oh, wow, look what we learned. You know, we had no idea this this issue was even out there. Now we have a whole new survey we can do. Was there anything that came back in the results that that kind of surprised you, took you took you you know by surprise as to what people were saying?
1: Yeah, there definitely were surprises. It was fascinating. Uh, just to tell a little bit about the survey and the study, uh, so people know what it is. Uh, I did this survey as part of an exploratory study it was looking at how entheogen use might impact sexuality and it was just online it was for people who were 18 and over who had used entheogens in the past three years Hmm. and it had 44 questions Uh, most of those were open-ended so that people could answer with whatever they wanted to talk about and it was anonymous and i did find four themes um Some of them were a little bit surprising. Some of them I kind of wasn't surprised by, but then there were other things that ended up being surprising. Hmm. But the the themes, just as an overview, uh, one was questioning of settler colonial sexuality and relationship structures. So I was kind of drawing on uh, some work by Kim TallBear, who's an indigenous scholar and performer she does many amazing things but she writes about settler sexuality and kind of describes it as there's there are these practices we have in our culture that we think of as norms but you if you actually trace them back they're they're rooted in settler colonial beliefs and there are actually many other ways of doing things uh, besides that Yeah. So, uh, what we consider norms aren't necessary weren't necessarily norms uh, in other communities and at other times. So that includes things like heterosexual relationships, monogamy, married relationships, vanilla sexuality, uh, very gendered roles. Uh, another way of describing those is there's a uh, cultural anthropologist and activist Gail Rubin, who calls them "charmed" because they're socially preferred, and you kind of get benefits if you do things in those preferred ways. Whereas in some yeah. cases, people straight up get punished or harmed if they do things outside of that. Luckily, it's it's changing in our society, but you know it's still present. So. One of the big themes that I I saw in this study that came out of this was that people after entheogen use felt like they were willing to question those types of beliefs and practices and maybe consider other ways of doing things, whether they actively did uh, explore those things was another story, but people were open to considering it and also open to accepting their own curiosity rather than denying it or judging it or repressing it. So that was a big one. And then processing trauma was a big one. And that included sexual trauma, but was not limited to sexual trauma. It was that processing any form of trauma seemed to impact relationships and sexuality, just like Mm. as a ripple effect. And then feeling of connection was another theme. And that was connection to self, to partner or partners, to spirituality, and or to pleasure. And then the fourth theme was acceptance. And that was acceptance of self, acceptance of body, acceptance of one's own desires. So those were the, the themes that came out of that. And a big surprise for me was just how open people were about sharing their experiences. Because So many of the questions were open-ended and people could say whatever they wanted to say. They actually shared a lot. And I was continually touched by the things that people shared. I cried over and over again Mm. as these responses came in because people were telling me such profound and meaningful things that had happened uh, in their relationships and their sexuality and in their own ability to accept themselves and what they desired in life and it showed me that people really want to talk about this stuff and need safe ways to be heard about this this is a yeah these are important issues for people and it can be really hard to talk about it so that was a big thing that that I was shown in this survey is just how much people want to talk about it and how meaningful it is to people And then another thing that I was surprised by, uh, again, it came from open-ended answers, was that there were a few men that mentioned that they felt that entheogen use had made them objectify women less. Mm. And I found that really interesting. And I I would love to explore that more. That's something that since I got those results and, and read some of those comments, I have continued to think about it, and it's something I would like to study more. I would like to know more about that. So that was a surprise that I didn't, uh, didn't know was going to come out of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, those are all fascinating. You know, y- you mentioned this uh, settler-colonial sexuality and relationship structures. I-, I quoted that out of your paper or your article, and my question, my follow-up question to that quote was, what? because I just didn't have any idea what, what that could possibly mean. But then later I saw you kind of mentioned the monogamy and, and heterosexual sex and relationships quote vanilla yeah. practices. Yeah. Um, what, what do you suspect? I don't know if you have this insight or than the data, but what do you think psychedelics, how do psychedelics affect one's attitude toward those? Cause a lot of people come out of this and, and you have things like, you know, you hear of, um, Polyamory, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, non non vanilla sexual experiences, and it does seem like, you know, people who have experienced these entheogens are more open to that kind of a thing. What 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 are your hypotheses on on what's going on?
1: Well, one thing is, I think the self acceptance piece is really huge in this, because. We all have things we've been taught about sexuality from family, Mm. from media, from society, peers. Like it just comes at us from all these different angles. And again, telling us what is right or preferred and sometimes being punished if we don't do that. And it's really common for people to report that they have more self-acceptance after they use psychedelics or through using psychedelics. And that's either through learning new things about themselves or just accepting things that they previously denied. And in the case of my study, it wasn't really that people did psychedelics and then suddenly were like newly interested in having sex with a gender they hadn't previously considered or they suddenly wanted to be uh, non-monogamous and had like never thought of it before. It was more that these kinds of ideas maybe had bubbled up as curiosities or desires, whatever the case may be for people. And then through using psychedelics and having more self-acceptance, they, they felt more inclined to accept those desires in themselves mm-hmm. or to accept that curiosity without suppressing it or judging it or denying it. So it was really more about feeling peace with those kinds of interests and maybe questioning beliefs that they had been taught from external influences. Yeah, And I I think that happens in a, a variety of ways with psychedelics because psychedelics just open us up to all kinds of things and show us that there's more, more than what we previously had thought about, more than we've let ourselves want. Just more and so it it naturally happens with sexuality too and I did find it interesting that that several people mentioned that they felt more accepting of their interests or their desires but that they they didn't necessarily act on them some people did but some people didn't like in the case of non-monogamy maybe they could admit they were interested in it but then when it came down to it, that that wasn't something they chose for their relationship, but the important piece for them was that they could not be mean to themselves for being interested in it.
0: Mm, Yeah. They could accept it rather than judging themselves. Yeah. So that's, that kind of leads me to the thought of if one, I don't know if this came, came out in the survey or not, but let's say one person in a, in a relationship, in a, a marriage a uh, settler colonial marriage, you know, goes through this and comes out of it and is like, you know, I've had these thoughts or I feel like these thoughts are new of being, you know, non-monogamous or trying, you know, new experiences, but the partner's not into it. The partner's like, yeah, not me. You know, Mm -hmm. this, you and I agreed to do this. We're, you know, in this relationship and you're changing. Did you, did anybody express those kind of things to where it was actually, it seems like that could actually cause some tension, you know, in a, in a traditional marriage or relationship.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that in any kind of practice where somebody where one person in a, in a partnership is addressing issues or exploring curiosities or opening to new ideas in themselves like whatever it is psychedelics or anything else because it can happen lots of different ways Hmm. that it might uh, create an interesting uh, situation within that relationship it might require that the relationship itself changes or that the conversations that are happening in the relationship change so I, didn't, uh, I didn't specifically look for that in my study, but I think it would be an interesting thing to look at. And it is something that comes up, I will say, again and again in conversations. Like this is the idea of incongruence, like sexual incongruence within relationships is is common for all kinds of reasons. And so the first thing I, I think on that, which this isn't out of the study, this is just some other ideas, but... Yeah that the first thing is to not be hard on ourselves when that happens because it's natural and it's common. And there are a lot of factors involved in uh, sexual desire and context matters a lot and how people are feeling in the particular context that they're in really influences what they want at any given time. And there's a book called Come As You Are. It's by Emily. Nagoski, I don't know if I'm saying that correct, but it's Mm -hmm. um, N-A-G-O-S-K-I. And it's written specifically, it's written for women, a women audience, specifically cisgender women, but I think it could be useful to lots of people. And in particular to people who wanna have sex with women because it talks about uh, the best context for sex is one that is low stress, high affection, and explicitly erotic. And so we can pick even just one aspect of that. Like we could look at stress, just pick stress and see like if one person in a partnership is really stressed, then they may not be in the mood in the same way that the other person is. And then also there's the self-acceptance piece. Like if, if someone's feeling bad about their body or their desires and they're not doing things that actively process that, then that's gonna affect things and there's naturally gonna be Uh, a mismatch in where people are at with things actually. So it does make sense that if one partner is addressing these kinds of issues with psychedelics or any other way that there might be that natural incongruence. But I do think it can have the possibility of opening up some conversations. Like when one person is becoming more open to those things, there is the possibility that they can kind of draw in the other person to have these conversations or look at other ways that it can be explored like, hey, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I'm opening to. Uh, do you want to talk about that? Right? <laughs> not necessarily that's not necessarily going to be the case for everyone, but there there is that possibility that it could happen for people, again, either through psychedelics or any other process that that opens up people's minds or hearts or, whenever yeah. it gets opened.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, I happen to have that book right here on my bookshelf. Oh, do you? Yes. Yes. It is. Uh, what do a you think one. about it? It's uh, I think you're right. It's something that, um, anybody who wants to have a physical relationship with a woman could benefit from this. Cause there's a lot of, you know, the men's immediate reaction to a stimulus, you know, versus a woman's um, kind of responsiveness to that, you know, and, and so there's, the differences are good and, and I'm going to have to go through it again because it's, it's been a little while, but, um, the insight in it, and it's kind of, um, if I remember correctly, it's like research driven, like kind of what you're doing with a lot of really good information to help anybody in a relationship understand what the other person is thinking and going through from a, a sex standpoint.
1: Yeah, I feel like it has some really helpful information. Uh, there some parts about it that I, I think are really useful. Um, is like they it talks about that there's variations in in how fast people get turned on and yeah. also how fast people get turned off. They call it the accelerator and the brakes. So for different people, and this doesn't have to be a gendered thing. I think in our society, we kind of expect that,
2: mm. that
1: men are going to have the bigger sex drive and accelerate faster, but that's not always the case. So I, I find it interesting that they talk about it like, look at how fast you tend to get turned on and how fast you get to t- be turned off. And then also what context seemed to make sex more likely for you and also look at that for your partner because it's just it's just differences in how we operate the things that turn us on are different the things that turn us off are different and then also how fast we respond to those things is different as well so yeah it has a lot of good information
0: yeah and w- without embarrassing my wife that was really the thing for us was really kind of understanding the the, the flow of that that turn on and the roles that you know we play in that and i think it was very helpful you know all the way around to really at least take the time to understand if not completely grok it you know what i mean to under to think about that flow and how that works for different different people i won't say men and women but different people and how how their sexual arousal or energy flows within given situations
1: yeah and then it's not a judgment thing either because it's just differences exactly. we're just different and we're all in different situations in life too so yeah it's just differences and getting to know ourselves and getting to know the people we're relating with
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly um you you already i think touched on sexual and other traumas playing a role in one's ability to feel pleasure did was there anything else you wanted to touch on with that
1: Well, I mean, just that it is a a huge piece of it and it did come up again and again in the study. People just naturally mentioned that in their answers and that Mm -hmm. as they process trauma, any kind of trauma that shifted how they felt about their relationships and sexuality because addressing trauma impacts all parts of life. And I did definitely feel like that was coming into play in the things that I saw in that New Year's Eve ceremony, uh, because I did notice that I was kind of more familiar with pain and that made pleasure a little scary for me just because Mm. it was less familiar. Mm. And then there was also the the feeling deserving of pleasure and love and acceptance. And I I did find that for me and also many of the people who responded to my survey, those kinds of things were trauma-based and so, naturally addressing trauma would impact those
0: yeah i haven't read this one but the other book that i was told to buy and read is uh the body keeps the score
1: oh yeah that's an excellent book
0: yeah yeah that's it's so that's good. here next to me yeah and then so if i'm pulling out all my books the uh well i'll find the other one later the ethical slut
1: oh yeah that's good too
0: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so now everybody knows a lot more about me than they probably wanted to
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's on Stuart's nightstand? (laughs)
0: yes yeah yeah I should say I have a lot of Ron Doss too people (laughs) all right okay all right so where, where was I here okay um I think body image we talked about I I know that the ironic thing for me I'm I'm a 50 52 year old not in great shape man and I have Never felt sexier in my life. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing, you know, even, even in my military days, you know, I never had like one of those top gun bodies, you know what I mean? But even in my military days, I I didn't feel as good about myself as I do now. So that's, is that, you mentioned that body image, self-love, is that something you saw in there is is people developed a a more healthy, positive self-image?
1: Yeah, that was, that was one of the really beautiful touching things too, is to see people talk about that. Um, it came up a lot and it it again comes back to that self acceptance piece, but as people love and accept their bodies more, it does open to more pleasure. And there's a a number of aspects to that. Like it's, um, being okay with being seen, it's, uh, influences, being okay with being touched Um, just the ability to be in one's body and feel okay being in the body and then allowing sensations as well like if there's a resistance to being in the body then all of that gets impacted and like you were just talking about like it doesn't even really have anything to do with what your body looks like or uh, what you're fitness state is or like those things definitely influence us in in various ways but like body acceptance is is just about loving yourself and feeling good in who you are and how you are and then that just opens up so much more enjoyment in all kinds of ways and uh that did show up really big and it was beautiful to
2: see that
0: nice yeah, that sounds amazing. So in all this research, um, I don't know if, if, if it's appropriate for me to ask you this question, but do you relate to any of your findings on your own personal, sensual level?
1: Yeah, definitely. I So as I mentioned, I... I did experience sexual abuse as a child, mm-hmm. and I got a lot of weird messages from that. And I had a lot of shame around sexuality that I have had to work through, still am working through, probably forever will be working through in some way or another. Um, and researching sexuality has been a big part of my healing. I think that's a, a big part mm-hmm. of what drove me was was my own need to heal my relationship with sexuality. And just learning about sexuality and talking to people about their experiences has been helpful to me, like in a uh, an academic way, but also in an emotional and personal way. And uh, my my own shifts in sexuality have come through all kinds of things that have supported me over the years, not just psychedelics, but Things that have brought me, again, more into my body and more into loving my body. Um, Exercise actually has been a a big help for that. Mm, And mm -hmm. It's like ecstatic dance because it helps me be more in my body and Mm. also feel strong in my body and uh, just be more embodied. Um, And then things like breath work and also just learning through being in relationships has taught me a lot. But Mm -hmm. all of that has been supported by the work that I've done with entheogens, especially ayahuasca. And I do relate to the things that people said in the study, especially about processing trauma being an important element and um, the self-acceptance piece, super huge, greater feelings of connection. And then the lessons that I have gotten around pleasure have been huge for me as well. So it's kind of been this... uh, multi-layered experience of of hearing about other people's stories looking at it as research uh, being kind of cerebral about some aspects and then going through my own process at the same time which I guess is often what happens with people when they get fascinated with a topic it's being driven by some personal wound or personal healing process and so there's often this like the the academic cerebral part of it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then like the what's actually happening inside the person the personal level and that definitely has been the case with me like it's been happening multi-levels at the same time
0: nice nice excellent what uh Getting access to pleasure and sexuality, you mentioned before that what kind of drew you maybe to that MAPS conference and to looking at this was kind of understanding these non-ordinary states of consciousness, you know, with entheogens, with meditation, dreaming, you know, whatever else brings you into that, which I find fascinating myself. Um, what what kind of access do you think that these non-ordinary states of consciousness give us to understanding our pleasure centers in our sexuality?
1: Well, I think non-ordinary states just open our container just in general and our own ability to take things in Mm. and, and feel gets expanded. So that's on all levels, any aspect of life and we can feel more in all kinds of ways. And that naturally would impact sexuality As well since it's an important part of our lives Uh, but it also opens up our senses in all kinds of ways so i think that alone has Mm. the potential to open up what we feel and experience because there's also the 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 part about connection as well Uh, that the feeling of connection expands our senses expand and you know all of these things can relate to self to spirit to partners to life to sexuality to pleasure all of these things can get touched by that um, yeah so i think just the opening that happens on all levels can touch yeah. any aspect of life
0: and, and that would be kind of where i was going to go next anyway is other non-sexual pleasure right food family work music it can open it since it opens you up it opens your container, then you get opened up to all kinds of pleasure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that was something people talked about in the survey as well. Um, Non-sexual pleasure was very present in the answers that participants gave. Uh, Like the, the survey was about sexuality as a whole, but I did ask some questions that were specific to pleasure. And in those questions about pleasure, people did mention the non-sexual pleasure has opened up for them too
2: hmm.
1: and there again is the self-acceptance piece but it's like yeah. seeing ourselves as worthy of joy and opening our hearts so that we can see more beauty in things and we can connect more and we can care more and opening the senses and it it reminds me when it makes me think of the, the non-sexual pleasure like it's in everything but it makes me think of after a ceremony being in um, a sensitive space still being still expanded mm-hmm. uh, and senses still awakened more, how amazing it can be to do something simple like look at the night sky or eat like a juicy piece of fruit and it just seems like the best thing ever. So it's those mm. expanded Senses making everything more enjoyable.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the funny thing for me is, is uh, after my very first psychedelic journey, I suddenly understood and could appreciate and actually listen to Pink Floyd. <laughs> the, up till that moment, their music just irritated me.
1: <laughs> That's what it takes, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't get the Grateful Dead, but Pink Floyd is—I can <laughs> oh, do man, it. Oh man,
1: I can't believe you're admitting this. <laughs>
0: yeah no it's it's real you know what i mean it's that it is what what has happened. We'll see I don't know. I'm not a big l s d person so maybe that's why the dead that's is some, not
1: that's some vulnerable admissions there Stuart <laughs>
0: well, I do have tears coming down my face, so yeah have to have to open up right Are you making fun of me? all right, I'll get deep with you. <laughs> No, I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Um, so somebody who's looking to connect to their, their, their pleasure center and to open up that container, what, uh, you know, using entheogens, using psychedelics, what recommendations do you have? I mean, anything from set and setting substance, um, preparation and harm reduction. I mean, anything you can think of what, what recommendations. Oh, and I should throw out my little caveat right now is, uh we are not recommending people go take psychedelics. Uh, Don't do illegal drugs and psychedelics are not for everybody. And there are some contraindications for psychedelics. So make sure you do your research. This is serious stuff. Like think about what happened to cable when she was 17 and and the seizure. And, you know, you just really got to look at all this stuff before you jump in. So we're not sitting here saying, Oh, run down the street and buy some mushrooms from your drug dealer. This is a serious stuff. So given that context, What, you know, somebody was like, yeah, I I need to reconnect. You know, either my relationship hasn't been good, my sex life hasn't been good, my my sensuality feels disconnected from me. I want to look at entheogens. What recommendations would you have?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned all of that and the harm reduction things too, which I do have some harm reduction things I want to mention, but first I'll answer this piece. Uh, I do think there is interesting potential for. For people to consciously work with sexuality, pleasure, all of these ideas with entheogens. Like, that's one thing. That was one takeaway from the study that I did is that there seems to be some interesting potential there. Yeah. Um, So, I do think it's worth having an intention for entheogen experiences. Like, we can always have the intention, but then ultimately, of course, we do have to let go and Mm -hmm. have whatever experience we are being given. And so have the intention and then also let it go. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do think that connecting to the heart is helpful for, for any experience, but for for this type of intention too. And to be in gratitude and to really sincerely connect to the things that we're grateful for. Because I do think the heart has a, a big interplay in this, of course. And not just in psychedelic experiences, but life in general, gratitude opens up a lot. Yeah. And and then if you have a relationship with the entheogen that you're working with, I would say try talking to it and express hmm. that this is something that you want to learn about. You want to learn about sexuality or you want to learn about pleasure and like have a, have a dialogue with, the entheogen that you're working with, like as a, as a relationship, as a, as someone that you're, you're co-creating with, and then see what happens, like see what happens in the psychedelic experience, but also just see what happens afterwards. Because as I mentioned before, sometimes things don't make sense in the psychedelic experience. Sometimes it takes the weeks or months afterwards before you really get the Mm -hmm. information on a like a conscious level and kind of put the pieces together. Um so I do have some more more about harm reduction. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah definitely. Definitely. Um like you already you already mentioned this, but first of all educate yourself about whatever approach or medicine that you're going to do you need to know what you're taking you need to know the risks and the best practices and also find good people to work with if you're going to do it then find good people that have a good reputation and ideally it would be someone that someone that you know someone who's already worked with them who can vouch for them
0: and mm-hmm. make sure
1: you feel safe with them before you get into an altered state with someone And then also, as you mentioned, be honest about your medical issues and your psychological concerns, and you have to disclose those to whoever you're working with. Like You need to be honest about it and be upfront about it and uh, not do it if it's a contraindication. And hopefully the facilitator either gives information about that or has some kind of conversation with you about it. That actually is a, a good... Indication: If someone is not addressing those things, then you might want to have like a red flag or something.
0: Yeah, Uh, they should be asking you some pretty deep questions, and a lot of yeah,
1: yeah, to make sure that you're safe.
0: Yeah,
1: like these are basic safety things, and ask for help if you need help. Uh, That that also is useful harm reduction practices yes. to ask for help um, there is a resource that I want to mention too that it's uh, on Chakruna's website chacruna.net they have an ayahuasca community guide for the awareness of sexual abuse mm. and it is specific to ayahuasca but it has information that's useful for any type of psychedelic work, Um, things to be aware of, because those kinds of things do happen. And like there's weird power dynamics and abuse of power in some situations and sexual abuse does occur. So those are things you have to be aware of as well. And then the other thing I would suggest is to connect with integration support. And now there's groups in a lot of places where you can meet in person or online with people uh, to have support when you're Processing what comes out of these experiences, which can be that can be a big deal in itself, just the processing afterwards. And there's also uh, the Fireside Project now, which is psychedelic peer support, and that's available for integration support, too. That's a uh, website, firesideproject.org.
0: Okay, I'll put those links in the uh, text part of this. Okay, great. Yeah, great information. Um, so just a couple wrap-up questions. Uh, this paper, t- for me, kind of feels like a step or a first step. I think it's, after hearing what you said, it's not a first step for you. It's just a step on this path you're on. So what? what's next? What are you going to work on next? Where are you headed?
1: Well, I... I do in a lot of ways feel like what you just said, like that it's a first step. It was a big step for me. It took a lot to get to that step, but it does Mm. feel kind of like the start of something and that there is definitely more to come. And some of that is still a mystery for me, but I really want to continue my research on some of these topics. And so I am looking at various opportunities to do that. And I am working on some writing projects currently. And I did just do that article for Chakruna about pleasure and psychedelics. They have a lot of good information. Chakruna does, yeah. so I recommend them as well, uh, just in general. And mm-hmm. then I also just started working with Modern Spirit just in the last couple of weeks, so this is a new thing for me, but. Modern Spirit was started by Dr. Joe Tafur, who wrote The Fellowship of the River, which is a great book about ayahuasca and healing. I recommend that as well. It's one of my favorite books. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I'm working with Modern Spirit a little bit, which does education and research that demonstrates value of spiritual healing in modern healthcare. Hmm. And you can find out more information about that at modernspirit.org. So there's another... Another resource got it and those are the things that I'm working on right now, and we'll see see where things lead and what else yeah. is possible
0: <laughs> well that's awesome yeah i can't I can't wait I'm definitely gonna keep an eye on on the things you're doing because they're they're real and and they're very much appreciated um, so what else is there anything, anything else I have not asked you that you want to get out there
2: Oh
1: good I can't think of anything I yeah you asked great questions and good. Uh, yeah, it was a fun conversation. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I am so grateful. Speaking of gratitude, I am so grateful for you to come here and share this stuff. It was it was fascinating and uh, everybody out there needs to go read the article and and read what Cable's putting out there because it's uh, it's refreshing and it's needed. So, thank you so much for coming here and sharing all that Cable.
1: Thank you, Stuart. I really appreciate talking with you today and all the work you're doing as well.
0: That concludes this edition of the Stoned Ape Reports. Thank you for listening. Please follow us on Instagram at Stoned Ape Comedy and subscribe to our newsletter at www.stonedapecomedy.com. Again, thanks for listening and catch you next time, Stoned Apes.